Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One additional feature of Aristophanes' speech as he delivers it in Plato's Symposium is this connection between maleness and male-male attraction and all that goes along with that and political life. So we're going to look at how that actually plays itself out. You might think of it as he's advancing a claim about the nature of human beings and the attractions that they have, where they take their pleasures, where they take their desires, and moving from that to a discussion about the nature of politics and why politics itself is going to be male-centric, male-dominated, so that those who are more directed towards the male in terms of their attractions, their erotic orientation are also going to be more effective in terms of politics. In a large respect, this is a function not only of the patriarchal nature of, of most ancient societies, but in particular of that of Athens, where there was a very rigid distinction between not only male and female in terms of occupation and activities, but also in terms of space. So there were public affairs, and those were male-dominated affairs. Those, those were things of the man. And then there were domestic affairs. That was the province of the woman. You see this carried forward in the rest of Greece as well, but it's particularly acute in democratic Athens, which is where Aristophanes is from and where the symposium is being given. So we start out with this note of men attracted to men, and you know where did that come from? A little bit of review here. We've talked about this in the other videos. Originally, there were three types of races or sexes, however you want to put the term gene in terms of human being. There were these creatures that were like us, except they were doubled. They had two faces, two sets of arms, so four arms, four legs, and two sets of reproductive organs. And some of them were male-female, all right? So one set of male organs, one set of female organs, the androgynous ones, you know, man, andros, woman, gune. Some were female-female, and others were male-male, two sets of, of male organs. Zeus splits them down the middle. There's a whole discussion about why that happens. I don't need to go into here. The result of this is that each one of us, as the human beings we are today, is looking for our missing half. That's what the force of eros or love or erotic desire really amounts to, is, is this inchoate and, in many respects, not quite conscious effort to find what it is that will complete us. And so... For Aristophanes, the, the men who were originally part of this male-male composite, or really not a composite, we think of it as a composite from our perspective, but were originally one being with the two male sex organs split down the middle. They're looking for a male other half. So how does this manifest itself? In their youth, they spend time with other youths, males, with men. They enjoy their company, they engage in those sort of activities, they don't really want to have anything to do with the girls or the women. That would be one way you can tell the difference between men who are going to be attracted to women later on. Do they hang out with women at all? At least from Aristophanes' point of view. Once they're mature, then they start seeking out lovers or the beloved, right? 
And remember, we have this rather, it's not unique, but it is typical to, to the Greek society of the time, where you have an older man and a youth, and the older man is the lover, he's the one who pursues, the youth is the beloved. There was some shame attached to this if penetration is taking place. We've already talked about the paradoxes of love when we got to Pausanias' speech. But in this case, it's being driven by this desire, right? An erotic desire to find one's missing half. So once a man is mature, he seeks out lovers or beloved, and he gives, as Aristophanes says, he gives his love to youths. There's a little bit of a compressed account. You would presume also that youths are giving their love to these older men who are involved with them. We saw with Pausanias' speech that there's the possibility of this being something, not just a sexual relationship, but something like a mentoring relationship as well. For Aristophanes, this is all based in this affection, in this desire that's taking place. So fighting the missing half is the goal. And when that happens, he says, then there's, there's not just one kind of affect. He uses three different terms here. He uses three different words, and this is worth lingering on. He talks about friendship, philia, and then he also talks about companionship, oikeotes, which literally means the, the feeling of being of the same oikos, of the same house. We might say being on the same team, belonging to the same group. And then he also talks about love, eros. Oftentimes, people want to try to contrast the three loves or the four loves, you know, philia, eros, agape. Agape, by the way, in this is just used in the sense of desire. It's not used as the sort of thing that the New Testament will do with it, uh, particularly Paul's letters. These are important different modalities, but Aristophanes is saying all of these are going to be present. The lovers who find each other do in fact have erotic desire for each other. Or if you prefer the term lust, they, they lust after each other. They desire each other in that romantic, erotic way. They also are friends. They have that other affect of friendship, philia, of being connected with each other, which is not based on a lack of something, a desire for what's there in the other. It's more a recognition of what's shared between the two. The sharing also takes part in this oikeotes, the companionship, which, you know, has the sense of being in the same place with each other. When we say being on the same page, that would be another way of translating this companionship. All of those are present when the person meets his, as we say, soulmate, right? His missing half, the part that will make him complete as a, a person and make that other person complete as well. Remember, this is a reciprocal relationship. Both sides are getting the same thing out of it. So it's not primarily, as he says, about sexual desire. It's not even about the companionship, or the intimacy, the being with each other that is much broader than sexual activity. I mean, you, can, you how long can you have sex each day or, you know, uh, flirt with each other or do that sort of stuff? You certainly can't do it all day long. At a honeymoon period, you can, but sooner or later, you've got to do other things. And, you know, that's when we talk about intimacy or companionship or people being friends with each other. Even that is not the bottom of it. What they're really seeking is something that they can't quite articulate, which is to be fused together into one thing, one being forever. Now, he has some interesting discussions here that come out of this. He says that, and this reflects the, the ambivalence that was felt in Greek society about male-male relationships. Not everybody approved of them, and there were a lot of modalities about how they, they could be viewed. We're going to see Plato, for example, 
advocating something that we call platonic friendship, right? Or platonic uh, romantic relations where you're not actually sleeping with the person, but you are connected with each other and you do feel desire for each other. Some people accused the men who were, were pursuing other men having relationships with them, pursuing youths, pursuing even, even boys in some cases, as being shameless. Greek for that is an eischuntes. That means that they lacked a sense of shame or a sense of modesty is how it's sometimes translated. They didn't blush about the fact that they were engaging in this behavior that should have made them blush. And Aristophanes actually says, well, that's a mistaken point of view. Literally, they have been lied to, those who hold that point of view, because what's really going on is it's not shamelessness, it's not a lack of limits, it's not a lack of observing how things ought to go in social circumstances that's driving them so that they're just, you know, their desire is just moving them along and they're these beasts that aren't um, paying attention to how proper people act. It's rather something different. He says it's daring. It's their manliness. It is their masculinity. Their very being originally male in a different sense than the heterosexual males who are pursuing women and perhaps racking up conquests. He actually talks about the you know heterosexual men tend to be adulterers. He doesn't see a lot of fidelity involved in there. He also talks about heterosexual women running after men and cheating on them. In this case, it's because they're coming from a being that is originally totally male that they are daring. They have thought confidence. They are courageous or manly. They are more masculine than the other men. So what does this mean? This means that they're ideally suited for the political realm, in which not only do you have to contend against other men from your own city, remember, this is the time of Greek city-states. So, you know, the, an analogy to us would be thinking about how governors sometimes have to go square off against the president of the United States or against other governors municipalities or political communities would have to engage in diplomacy and engage in all sorts of relations and, and negotiations and sometimes war with the other city-states. And Aristophanes is saying men who are attracted to men and who are pursuing that sort of stuff, they're better suited for the political life than the men who are oriented towards women. He doesn't, you know, have any discussion here about women, you know, female-female relationships. That, that could be a very interesting thing to examine, but unfortunately he doesn't talk about that in the speech. The other thing that he says about this has to do with social conventions and sexual desire and institutions. So he talks about them not really being interested in marrying and having children. Why not? Because they're not interested in having sex with women. They're not interested in, in having that whole panoply of relations that that go along with taking a wife, or literally just in Greek at that time, it was driving a woman home. Again, gunain. So children are something that come from that. That's not to say that these men won't get married. In fact, they will get married, and they probably will have children. It's just they're not that into that. That's not where their central desires are. Agathon is a great example of this, by the way. Agathon himself sends the flute girl to go play with the women. He has women in his house, but he's there with his bros, you might say, talking in this symposium with them, because that's where he really wants to be. So they are forced to have children. They're forced to pass on their gifts and things like that to their children, hopefully boys, of course, in the Athenian sense. And they're forced to marry by law or convention. But if they could get away with it, Aristophanes suggests, they would dispense with that altogether. Now, how serious is he about this? 
That's an interesting question to explore. He is a comic poet. He is giving us this as part of a whole big story. He is also the one person at the symposium who doesn't turn out to have a lover there. So these are all things to bear in mind. But this is the connection that Aristophanes articulates between sexual relations and desire and pleasure, manliness, and political life. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.